0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Let's go to the book of Job. Uh, last last week I got about not even halfway through our uh, my notes from... Uh, Chapters 27 and 28. Uh, I was working today on chapters 29, 30, and 31. Hopefully that will be next week. Uh, Job chapter 27 and chapter 28. Um, So this is Job's first monologue. And as I explained last week, I won't go through all the details, but I know some of you weren't here um, because of illness and traveling and things like that. But uh, we have seen Job's three friends, two of the first two, Eliphaz and uh, Bildad, those two rebuked Job three times. Zophar only did it two times, and then they kind of gave up. And then Job, he responds in chapter 25 and 26, and then chapter 27, it begins with, moreover, Job continued his parable and said, and I explained to you last week about a parable, uh, that the word parable in English can mean, uh, has, a, has a larger, uh, uh, usage than maybe we think of, especially when it comes to Jesus's parables. When we think of Jesus's parables, uh, I covered one this last Sunday morning. I'll be covering two more this Sunday morning. Two of Jesus's parables, and those are fictional stories that uh, illustrate a point. Um, and so here, um, the word can be used for uh, for a comparison for poems. It can be used for proverbs and other things. I think about half the time it is translated. Uh, parable about half to, the other half or so. There, I think there's a couple other single uses, but half of them it's it's uh, it's translated proverbs. Job continues, and he kind of complains about feeling like God had taken away his judgment, is the words he used, which means he thought God had kind of taken away um, his uh, his reputation, and because people were thinking that he's sinful because of what had happened in his life. Uh, then he continues in verse three and four. He says, while my breath is in me, the spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. He says, I'm not going to lie. And we talked about this because in verse 5, he says, God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove mine iniquity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as long so long as I live. So um, they wanted him to say, yep, I'm a sinner. And he's like, I'm not going to do it because it would be a lie. Then, uh, let's see here. Uh, Then he asks for, um, in verse seven, for them to, uh, those accusers to have come on to them the punishment that he should receive for the sin they accuse him of. Okay, that wasn't the best way to say that, but um, you know, if you accuse someone of something and their punishment would be one year in prison, and you falsely accuse them, then you should get the one year in prison. I think that's a great law. Um, I think that's what we should do. Um, and then he begins to talk about hypocrites in um, and then verse 11 and 12 um, he says why do you speak altogether in vain why are you speaking vanity why are you speaking emptiness about me then verse 13 this we left off we, we we covered verse 13 that's where we left off he says this is the portion of a wicked man with god and the heritage of oppressors which they shall receive of the almighty so uh, job's beginning to s- describe the wicked man now he's Describing the wicked man, and it's going to match somewhat with what they described as the wicked man, his friends, but they applied it to him. And let's read it because I think it's interesting that it does seem to apply to him. Look at verse 14: If his children be multiplied, it is for the sword. All right, so if he's going to have children, he's going to have if he's going to have many children because children are a blessing. Uh, in the in that day and time, people looked at children as a blessing. You and I look at children as blessings, but uh, in our day and culture, children are a nuisance, and, uh, and, and they're not important to people. Uh, but he says if, if God's going to give you multiple children, if you're going to be multiplied, it's for the sword. In other words, they're going to die. Well, that sounds like Job's situation, doesn't it? Verse 14 in the middle, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver. You you may work hard, you may earn silver, you may earn gold, but the wicked are not going to keep it. The innocent and the just are going to give it, are going to get it. So uh, the, the and that that seems true, right? I mean, that's what happened. They Job's everything he had um, and I'm I'm getting ahead of myself because of chapter 29 I was looking at today Um, but Job uh, he he goes back and he remembers those things and he says listen this is what happens to the wicked man now um, verse 18 he buildeth his house as a moth and as a booth that the keeper maketh. the rich shall lie down but he shall not be gathered he openeth his eyes and he is not so how does a moth build his house? You ever had moths in your closet? And what do they do? They eat through clothing and garments, right? So they destroy what they're going to use as a house, okay? And then they can't go back. You can't put it back together. So um, he builds his house by eating through and destroying the integrity of the thing that he's going to use for his house. The rich man lays down to sleep, but he doesn't rest because he worries about losing it all. Then he wakes one day and it's all gone. Verse 20. Terrors take hold on him as waters. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carrieth him away, and he departed. And as a storm hurleth him out of his place. So without the peace of God, knowing you're right with your creator, uh, because of him being your redeemer, terrors take hold, and one day he is of great wealth and power, but the next he's depleted, and according to this, even is whisked away into death. Verse 22, for God shall cast upon him and not spare, he would fain flee out of his hand. So what does God cast upon him? It says there, God shall, for God shall cast upon him and not spare. Well, I think maybe it's his wrath. Um, why? It's not because God falsely accuses. He never falsely accuses someone, but God put on that man, what? He put on that man his own sin. Right, God doesn't. God put on His Son the sin of us all, but um, God puts on uh, that wicked man. He puts on him his, his own sin, his own transgression, and, and the man is judged then by a righteous judge because of his iniquity. And he says that this would fain, he would fain flee out of his hand. To be fain means to be happy. He'd be happy to flee out of the hand of God, but he can't. And so the only escape for that wicked man's sins are. To put them on the sacrificial lamb of Jesus Christ, of course, by faith. Verse twenty-three: Men shall clasp their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. Now, in our in our culture, um, when we see somebody wicked, we may clap or we may uh, we may boo that person. Right? If you ever go to sports games, uh, I don't think we as Christians should. Um, I think we should cheer for our team, not against the other team. Um, but people boo. Unless it was like at the Michigan game, you know. Anyway, um, that was that was fun. I don't know if you guys watched that game, but that was fun. Um, so we may boo someone, we may clap when they're removed. You know, somebody gets somebody gets a technical, and then they get another technical in a basketball game, and they get they get thrown out of the game. We may we may be happy, right? Um, but the villain is booed. But the second, but. When, they, when they're gone, we cheer. And that, that's what he's talking about there, I think. Not, not a sports game, but men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. They're happy to see him go because he's wicked. And so that's where that chapter ends, that um, he, he's, he claims his own integrity, then he describes a wicked man. Not everything applies to Job, for sure, but we can certainly see, again, I mentioned this last week, we can certainly see why someone would think that Job has guilt. But as a true friend of his, there's no way... They ought to be ashamed of themselves for accusing him of something that they have never seen him do or have reason to believe he's done. All right, chapter twenty-eight. The Bible says, "Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it." Okay, uh, what does it mean to find it? Think about refining it, right? So if you if you take gold and you refine it, you make it purer. Um, there, and by the way, there's, there, are, there is speculation about this chapter. Um, because of the way it's written, uh, some speculate it doesn't belong in this book. Now, I have no doubt it does. There's always going to be uh, skeptics. There's always going to be people try to, try to go in and figure out uh, where they think something doesn't fit so they can try to bring question in our minds as to the Word of God. Uh, God has preserved His Word. And this chapter... Chapter 28 is inspired just like everything else. Just like John 3.16, this chapter is inspired. Now, we also know that uh, the Bible is always true. That doesn't mean people in the Bible don't say wrong things or don't say untruthful things. And so, um, this is, in other words, God preserved this to be in here. Uh, But this is still Job speaking, and it's still Job speaking. Uh, Not necessarily everything Job says is is perfect and right because it's still, it's still Job that's doing the speaking. Now, um, he describes in these verses, let's finish reading a couple of verses here. Verse two, iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and searcheth out all perfection. The stones of darkness and the stone in the shadow of death, the flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, even from the waters forgotten of the the foot. They are dried up and they are gone away from men. All right, what is this describing in verses 1 through 4? What kind of occupation is this describing? What's that? A miner, right. He's describing the act and the process of mining. And he describes here the extent that man will go to find those precious stones and those, those jewels, to find the, the precious metals. And it's not bad. It's not bad and wrong. Mining is not a bad thing. Uh, try digging in the earth and finding gold and finding silver—it does not insinuate greed. Um, I have some some tools at home. I've got a, some some tools for cutting concrete or for grinding concrete, and they're diamond tits. Right? They they use diamonds on them. Uh, diamonds are, are used for for concrete, hard surface cutting. They're, um gold is one of the best conductors of electricity, and so. Some things have gold contacts And, and so these are, they're uses. This is not just about having diamonds and gold and silver on your fingers and, and, uh, and having greed But it can actually be a symbol of hard work and determination Now, um, so the descriptions of these verses give us insight Into the advanced methods used in that ancient culture That they worked and they were able to mine these things out I think it's interesting, it says surely there is a vein V-E-I-N, what kind of vein is that? It's like a pathway, right? So you have a, a vein for your blood. There's a pathway for the blood. Then he says that there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Um, brass is molten out, uh, molten out of the stone. And so they, they knew what they were doing. Now, so the search of the miner causes him to take the treasure out of the earth, melt it to purify it, seek it in darkness, even in the darkness of the shadow of death. Uh, we've all heard stories, many stories, about mining, about miners that get trapped underground, that there's a, a collapse or something. Um, and so they go in at great risk to pull these things out. It's something that they're willing to risk their lives for. And uh, in fact, even I think where it says in verse uh, uh, verse 4, the the flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten to the foot, they're drabbed. Even Uh, There is a danger of underground floods. There is danger all around. And that's where he goes in. Now verse 5. As for the earth, out of it cometh bread. And under it is turned up as it were fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires. And it hath dust of gold. So above the earth is the treasure of food. Um, Man, we want gold and silver and, and diamonds and treasures. And all those are good. But you can't live on those things. Right? You can't. You can't eat those things and survive. Um, we, I know as Christians we need, to, we need every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. But physically we need food. And so he's telling us here that uh, out of the earth, as for the earth, out of it cometh bread. Now God has provided those things. He's provided the wheats and the grains and things like that uh, for bread above the surface and precious stones and the minerals below the surface. But to attain either of those, work is required. It, it's hard work to farm, it's hard work to mine. Verse seven, there is a path which shall which no fowl knoweth, in which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock and overturneth the mountains by the roots. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks in his eye, Seeth every precious thing. He bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. So the, the miners, the first couple of those verses, 7 and 8, um, the miners, underground, they have paths that birds ha- haven't seen. Lions haven't walked. Um, inside the massive mountain, man goes and digs up everything in his way. That's what it, I think that's what it means there when it says he overturneth the mountains by the roots. He's digging and he's willing to, to dig as far as he can. To overturn, to find these things, um, and so he sees things, the precious things that catch his eye. So we come to these verses, verses all one through eleven, and he. What's the point? Why do we care about mining? <laughs> why are why is he giving us? You might be going, I don't know where this is going, or why we're talking about this. But look at verse twelve. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place to understand? You see, he spent all those verses teaching us, that, uh, telling us about the risk and the effort and the great um, work that goes into finding the treasures of the earth and finding the things, the treasure above the earth, the, the foods and the grains and things like that. Yet, we, many people, do not search out wisdom to any, any type of that degree. Verse uh, 13, we'll come back to that. Verse 13, man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it is not in me. And the sea saith, it is not with me. So, he says, man knoweth not the price thereof. What is the, How much does wisdom cost? Well, the Bible tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, uh, I think it's James, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, Uh, who giveth to all men uh, liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't withhold those things. He gives generously and he doesn't withhold those things. Um, Now, most uh, how many of you know what the price of gold is per ounce? Does anybody know? I mean, it's always fluctuating, but approximately, Kevin? Yeah, okay. Uh, I looked this up when I was preparing for last week and it was $2,062.56. So, one ounce of gold is worth about $2,000. Uh, silver, does anybody know what that is? Much, much less. As of last week, it was $23. $23.71 per ounce. Okay? Um, what's the price of wisdom? Yeah. Is it less? Is it more? Well, its value is far above that, isn't it? But what is it, what's it? What's its cost? Well, God gives it he gives it to all men liberally. But does that mean we just like walking down the road and God just hits you with wisdom? No, we're supposed to search it out. We're supposed to dig for it. We're supposed to... Where do we dig? In the Bible. We, we dig through the Word of God. Um, the, the value of gold is, is not quite, but it's almost 100 times that of silver. And so it's much, much more valuable than silver, but the price of wisdom... The price of gold cannot even be compared to the price of wisdom. Um, so where do we find wisdom? We don't find it. He says in verse uh, fourteen, uh, verse 13, Neither is found in the land of the living. The depth saith it is not mean, the sea saith it is not me. In other words, it is not on this earth. We can't, just, we can't go out into a hill and start digging with a shovel and find it. Verse 15. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of which uh, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold." And so uh, he kind of goes on and on, right? Now, this is not pointless. It's not worthless. But it is poetry that we're reading. And so he uses all these examples. says it, it, is, it is far above these things. It is above the value of all these things that they would, see, they would have seen as, as very valuable. And so you can't set a price to wisdom. No onyx stones, no sapphires, crystals, corals, pearls, rubies, topaz, or gold can, uh, can purchase wisdom. Verse 20, then, he asks the question, Whence then cometh wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? If you remember, just a few verses ago, verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And then we come to uh, verse 20. So it's almost a repeat of verse 12. Now, he told us where it can't be found. He told us that in verses 13 through 19. And so that's a logical question. Where can we find it? If it can't be found in the earth or in the sea or in the land of the living, then where can it be found? Verse 21. Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. Um, Birds don't have wisdom. I know we think owls have wisdom, but they don't have wisdom, right? They have instinct, but they don't have wisdom. Um, Wisdom, he says, is hidden hidden from all living. Even the dead in the grave. He says uh, destruction and death say... We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. So even death and the grave know not where wisdom comes from. But they have heard of it. Verse 23. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. So what's the answer? All this, uh, verses 1 through 23, was to to get us, uh, verses 1 through 22 was to get us to verse 23. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. So that's the answer. Um... God knows where wisdom comes from. He understands this thing that, that man cannot. Um, there's a lot of things we don't understand. Uh, I don't understand a lot of things. I, I don't understand a lot of things that you understand. But there are things that all of us do not understand. Man simply cannot understand. He has no capacity to understand spiritual, uh, all the spiritual things that that we will understand one day. We don't understand eternal things. Um and But yet we, we live in a world where many people profess to, seem, profess to have that understanding, have all the understanding. Uh, but it is only through God that man can, ha- can have an understanding of wisdom. Man can have knowledge. And sometimes man knows how to use that knowledge. But to use that knowledge uh, for the glory of God, to use that knowledge to, um, to, to accomplish his purposes has to come from wisdom. Verse twenty four, for he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeeth under the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. So God is here's what I think what we're what we're seeing is God's creator and he's sustainer of the universe. He sees it all simultaneously. He sees the ends of the earth, he sees under the heavens, under the whole of heavens, he blows the wind, knows the measurement of the waters. He made the rain that causes it to fall. He creates the lightning and thunder. And that brings us to verse 27. Then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. What is it that God prepared and and, uh, searched out? Wisdom. God sees wisdom. And God created wisdom.
1: You know, it's like,
0: God created everything. That doesn't just mean God created every physical thing that we have. God created the laws of science, God, the laws of nature. God created wisdom. God created everything. Um, and so today, we find it in his word. Now in that day, Job didn't have God's word to go to. God would speak to people. God would reveal things to people. We have all of the revelation that uh, that God wants us to have for now. We have all the revelation that we need. And He, uh, we can read it. In here, but that doesn't mean we have wisdom, does it? You can read this and not gain wisdom. You have to read this with the Holy Spirit working in you for wisdom to take hold in your heart. Now, verse twenty eight. And under man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Ah, so we have even more details. It's not just that in here is wisdom, that's true. But where does it start? Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Um, Job In Job's day, um, well, he says, he says, Behold, the fear of the Lord is that wisdom. The fear of the Lord in, in Psalm is the beginning of wisdom. And so we have, hand in hand, all under... Uh, hand in hand with that is that understanding comes... From departing from evil, so fearing God, departing from evil, finding it in His Word—that's where wisdom comes from. Now uh, we know that uh, Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. He, you know, he learned how to handle situations. Um, God doesn't uh, just—he doesn't work that way anymore, right? He gives us His Word, and He says, "Listen, search it out, dig it out. But if you ask for it and you seek it out, I will give it to all men liberally." So the end of chapter 27 ends with a dark picture for the wicked. But chapter 28 ends with a positive, enlightening prospect for the righteous man who seeks godly wisdom. Uh, Job needed wisdom as he went through the sin. He knew right where to find it. Now, um, I think we'll go ahead, and I don't really have it completely laid out, but that's okay. Um, let, let's go to chapter 29. Now let's just begin that. That'll get us a little bit ahead because um, chapters 29 through 31 are kind of Job's second parable, okay. The second continuing of this parable. So let's go to chapter twenty nine. Look at verse number one. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, "Oh that I were in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his uh, when his candle shined upon my head, and when his by his light I walked through darkness." Okay. So Job continues with an admission that he he missed the days of his past. Can you blame him? He lost everything. He lost his family, uh, lost his health. And so certainly he misses his children, his health, and even the financial plenty that he once enjoyed. But here he focuses on missing God's preservation, right? He says, um, oh, that I, in months past, says in the days when God preserved me. He missed feeling as though the Lord was watching over him and keeping him safe. He misses the light because he feels like he's in darkness. Now John John Gill, commentator John Gill, he's uh, Pastor John Gill back from the 1700s. Um, he points out that each of Job's calamities are outward. So you think about everything that he's faced has been outward, right? He lost uh, things, he lost family, he lost his health. Everything he's lost is outward. Now, he's faced greater turmoil than any, probably any of us could ever imagine. Uh, but yet, all of it was outward. So the loss of his children would cause great emotional pain. So it, it would cause internal pain, but it was really an outward problem. His physical pain caused great mental distress. But all of his problems were outward. Now, that's not to d- diminish um, the, the pain, to d- diminish... Uh, or to try to rebuke him for longing for those days. Okay? It's not, that's not my point. It's just that God had never left him. So we, we, we can look at, and that's really all we sometimes know how to look at is the outward. Look at the things and, and the people and, and uh, our health and things like that. But God had never left him. God had never stopped working on him. Um, many Christians have been tried As Job said, and I think it's chapter 23, uh, tried by fire. He says that when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. Uh, But at this point, Job was feeling as though this was a spiritual crisis, far more than it was a uh, physical crisis. Verse 4, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured me out, uh, poured me out rivers of oil. Now, um, Job's recollection of his life before Satan's interference was all good, right? It's all just good, glorious, positive stuff. Um, he's had success, and it seems that that was a secret. He says in verse four, "And it was in my days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tab- tabernacle." I don't know why, I don't know how, but God was blessing. God was, God was on me. He was on my tent. He was on my, my dwelling. Um, but he, he says I, it's almost like a secret that he couldn't find again. He had God. Now, he says there, when the Almighty was yet with me. Now, I talked about this, I think it was was it last Wednesday. Um, no, it was in Sunday night. Uh, Jacob. So Jacob said, called him the Almighty God. Uh, the word Shaddai is Almighty God, El, so El Shaddai um, means God. So here he uses that same word. He uses the word Shaddai in verse 4 and verse 5. So he, he remembers those days. He's had his children with him, his cattle. Uh, what does it mean? What does verse 6 mean? When I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured out uh, rivers of oil. Does anybody have an idea what that means? I wash my steps with butter. Sounds slippery, right? Um, I think what that means is that he, his cattle were producing so much. In fact, the word butter there is also used, it means cream, too. They were producing so much milk that he's like, I'm, it's like I'm, I'm washing my steps with butter, okay? So it's just an overabundance. So he's talking about his children, talking about God being with him, his children were all with him. Uh, his his cattle were producing milk. What do you think? Then the rock poured out, me out rivers of oil. What do you think that possibly means? Was that? Oh yeah, prosperity. Okay, so but but literally, I think he's saying that like his olive trees were producing so much that it's just like pouring oil out. Okay, so he, that's the way he remembers it. Verse seven. When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged men arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and the eye saw me, and it gave witness to me. So here's what we see. Like Job, everywhere he went, he was respected. The little boys, man, they would go run behind things and they would peek and they would hide and watch Job. That's what I picture there, um, verse verse 8. The aged men arose and they, they showed respect to Job who was probably not as old as many of them. The princes, so uh, rulers, leaders, they refrained talking. They, when he walked in, they got quiet. They put their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. So when, when uh, and then verse 11 when people heard him, they they blessed me. When they saw him, they gave witness to me. So Job was well well respected, and he remembers that. So he starts off by talking about he remembers his children, remembers when he had all the things, he remembers when God just seemed to be blessing, he remembers when he had this great um, uh, reputation there in the in the city. Verse twelve: Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless, and him that had. None to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put righteousness, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Now, Um, Job here seems to be uh, he talks about his success now is he bragging he's not bragging if you can back it up no he's not bragging he's just telling the truth he's just saying hey um, this is what I did so as we we go through those verse 12 um, he helped those the fatherless he uh, verse 13 uh, I caused the widow's heart to sing so James 1.27. What does James, James call that when you're helping the fatherless and widows in their affliction? Does anybody remember? What's it called? What's that? True religion. Yeah, I think it says, yeah, pure religion true religion. And undefiled before the fathers is that you visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. So James says um, that what what he's doing there is he's got pure religion. He's got true religion there. Um, verse 14, I put unrighteousness and it clothed me. He said I, I walked up right. I know it sounds bragging, and if I ever if I ever talk like this, you can go, no, you didn't. Um, but for Job, he was just telling the truth. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. What's a diadem? What's that? Yeah, like a, a crown, as like a royalty head headwear. Um, uh, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Right. That's just, that's what the Song I can't think what song it is, but anyway, it's that song. Um, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. She says, and the rare occasion that I didn't have the answer, I searched it out. And then, verse 17, And I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. So what does that mean? And we're going to end with that one for tonight. What does that mean that he... Um, Break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of I think he's saying that he defends those. I mean, as he's been helping the fatherless and widows, and as he's been um, doing all of these good things for others. Not only that, but he went to their defense and he broke the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil. So, what did the wicked do? In, in the Bible, we often see the wicked pictured as 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 a devouring. Um, the, the, those that they oppressed, and he says, I plucked the spoil. I plucked what I could out of their teeth after I broke their jaws. So, um, anyway, we'll, we'll finish chapter twenty-nine, and hopefully thirty and thirty-one next week. Okay, but it is seven fifty-eight, and I'm gonna—that's a good stopping point. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church. Visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.